0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Human Rights Magazine. My name is Derek McCush. The kafala system is a form of worker sponsorship that allows private citizens and companies almost total control over the employment and immigration status of migrant workers. Lebanon has some 250,000 migrant domestic workers, most of them women from Africa and Asia. The labor laws do not provide them protections that other workers have, like a minimum wage or pay for overtime, limits on their working hours, or a day off. The kafala system is one of virtual slavery and exploitation. In this episode, Michelle Knafes explores the dynamics of kafala in Lebanon.
1: I explored the effects of the Lebanese economic crisis on migrant workers under the kafala system in Lebanon, which is often criticized by many organizations to promote human trafficking and abuse. To better understand how the Lebanese economic and political crisis has affected and changed the kafala system and its workers, I spoke with three experts who researched this topic. I first spoke with Hiba Zayedin, who is a researcher in the human rights watch gulf research in the Middle East and North Africa division. She mainly investigates human rights abuses in Syria and Jordan and in the Middle East in general. She explained to me what is the kafala system and why it is problematic. It is criticized since it makes migrants work very difficult and hard. Also, the Lebanese economic and political crisis, made worse by the pandemic and the 2020 Beirut port blast made the system even more prone to human rights violations regarding the workers. The first thing that makes the kafala system favor workers' exploitation is that foreign workers are not protected by the Lebanese labor law in any way.
2: So the kafala system is, uh, if you want to translate kafala like the word itself, it means sponsorship. So it is a sponsorship system and a legal framework for labor in Lebanon that allows uh, Lebanese citizens only, um, to sponsor migrant workers, and mainly the sponsorship system applies to workers from Africa, South Asia, um, who come to Lebanon to work, and basically as a sponsor, so a Lebanese citizen who is a sponsor has complete control over their employment. So for example, uh, the, the worker can only be in Lebanon if they are sponsored, and there exists since here is dependent on this employment. So as soon as the employment is done, they can no longer stay in the country. And uh, it's not specific to Lebanon only, it's also really popular in the Gulf. So it's mainly in the Gulf and the, the Levant as a system. Um, I'm not sure when exactly it started, but I would say it got more popular up to the end of the civil war in Lebanon, which ended in 1990 in which there was a sort of an economic boom and economic reformations that were extremely neoliberal at the time. So what happened is that a lot of migrant work was brought into the country as cheap labor. And uh, that included domestic migrant work as well as non-domestic migrant work. So mainly there are women who work, uh, who stay in homes and work as helpers and nannies. And then the men, Work um, are employed by corporations that are that also use the kafala system as non-domestic migrant work. Um, so the workers uh, aren't under the Lebanese labor law, which excludes any non-Lebanese worker, and they don't really they can't really decide to quit this employment. It's based on the contract that the employer sets, so they can't change employers or Change the terms of their contract, uh, and because they're not under Lebanese labor law, they're not even guaranteed, for example, minimum wage or social security, which right now doesn't amount for much because of the devaluation that happened in Lebanon. But at like pre pre crisis, before the economic crisis, their wages were extremely low, which is uh, was economically beneficial for Lebanese citizens. Um, yeah, I think that, that explains kafala system in general. And of course, because they're not protected under any law, that gives a lot of room for abuse of the system and of the workers, especially when it comes to women, it's um, physical and sexual abuse. Uh, and when it comes to the men, it is both physical, financial It's very popular to withhold wages from the workers for months at a time or until their employment ends. And even then they're not guaranteed it. It It is mainly the law and the legal framework that sets up what the kafala is. But I would rephrase this question a bit to say that the authorities and the law doesn't fail to protect workers. It's that there is no attempt to to protect the workers in the first place. So the system is in place not to protect the workers, but to exploit them in a way that is beneficial for for Lebanese people who partake in the system and in other countries, um, it really is the same. So it's set up in a way that makes it very easy to exploit the workers for the benefit of Lebanese people who get to have cheap labor at all times at the expense of the safety, the livelihoods, the, the lack of rights for those workers. So, when you ask, like, why do the Lebanese authorities fail to protect the workers? It's because there's no attempt to protect them. And I would say that racism and classism are deeply ingrained in the more affluent of Lebanese society. When the crisis first began and the, the Lebanese leader, the currency here, was getting devalued against the dollar. Uh, one thing about migrant workers is that they are paid in dollars and pre-crisis that was no issue for Lebanese people but post-crisis it became more and more expensive so what what was happening is something really bizarre in which there were people literally going onto like Facebook marketplace or any other online platforms and offering up their at-home workers saying hi I cannot afford her anymore does anyone want to buy her like in a literal sense they were they were selling the workers it happened like even before the crisis i would hear about you know i don't want this worker anymore so i'm lending her to my neighbor okay so what i what i saw is that it was most turbulent towards the beginning of the crisis when people were unsure where the crisis was headed and you know it's only getting exponentially worse but now people no, like, okay, I can afford a migrant at home worker, or I cannot afford that domestic migrant worker. And so, um, when the workers were getting kicked out of their homes and they went to their embassies, something important to point out there is that their respective embassies, wherever they may be from, also did not offer help because the countries from which migrant workers uh, migrate to Lebanon also benefit from the Kafala system and from uh, exporting that labor because it does bring in dollars into their respective countries. So that was another reason why help was not offered when uh, especially like the Kenyan workers spent weeks outside of of their embassies. Um, So the the market is definitely still still here because of how dependent, I would say, Lebanese society has become on... uh, on migrant domestic work. So while that might be illegal, it's not as scrutinized anymore after the crisis. And uh, I think what also happened a lot is that, and that goes, of course, undetected, um, in which the workers were not able to leave and they were not kicked out, but they are being withheld their wages every month. Because what, what really happens is that once a migrant domestic worker comes into Lebanon and is assigned a home, uh, their passport gets taken away they're they're not given phones, for example, so their only contact with their family is through their employer's phone that's for one if there's any contact at all. I think part of the reason it's hard to abolish it is that a lot of these initiatives that aim to help the workers do not necessarily aim for abolition, so I think there is that narrative of People who still believe that the system can be reformed. In which once the, the Ministry of Labour here in Lebanon tried to reform the the kafala system and it was mostly about how to lessen the abuses. But there is really no way to monitor that.
1: I then spoke with William Christou, a correspondent at the New Arabs Levantine, covering the politics of the Levant and the Mediterranean region. He previously worked as a journalist with Syria Direct and Amman Jordan and has a deep interest in Middle Eastern issues. William talked to me about why the system is highly exploitative and how it creates a race scale in Lebanon in which some workers are paid more or less depending on the country of origin.
3: This is problematic tying the employment status to residency status because it creates a highly exploitative um, employment relationship where um, the worker is not free to um, seek better employment or different employment um, or, and is not in a position to negotiate a good status for themselves, a good salary, and oftentimes cannot report abuse without fear of being deported for the country, from the country. Um, Lebanon in particular, their, um, the, the situation is highly pitched in favor of the employers. Um, so oftentimes what will happen is, specifically during the crisis, if a employer decides they don't want to pay their worker or honor the terms of the contract, um, they will simply report the worker to the police, saying either they ran away or they stole something. Um, and then the police just come and they pick up the worker and they're now a criminal home in jail and eventually will be deported. Um, And the issue also is because um, laborers are brought over in Lebanon um, by employment agencies from their home countries. And oftentimes the uh, cost of their tickets um, are covered by uh, the workers themselves um, from employment agencies. um, And so they have to work back the cost of their ticket. Um, So they, even if they are in an abusive situation or a, a bad working environment, they will oftentimes stay because they have debt on them um, or they've spent so much money to get there, they need to work there for some years before they can come back. Um, yeah, and, and you know, this issue particularly affects, you know, it's, it's um, it affects women in particular because many of these migrant domestic workers are women, most of them are like the vast majority and it's, it's a race issue as well because many of them um, are not white and they're looked down upon a Lebanese society, like let's say we're talking about, a lot of them are Ethiopian, Kenyans, um, Southeast Asian, Bangladeshi, um, and their treatment of them, which oftentimes can be sort of subhuman, uh, is oftentimes rooted in racism because um, they wouldn't treat the Lebanese people like that. And interestingly enough in Lebanon, and this isn't unique to Lebanon, this is pretty common under the kafala system, um, oftentimes, their wages are based on the sending country. So, uh, an Ethiopian is considered like, and this is horrible, but lower quality than, let's say, Sri Lankan. So they receive less wages. Um, and then Filipino is is you know worth less than uh, I don't know Sri Lankan or whatever it might be. Um, system. Okay, there's like a legal administration built around it, but what it really is is legalized human trafficking. And oftentimes things, conditions that are akin to slavery. Um, and yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so the, the, the short answer is that uh, migrant, it, Lebanon is no longer such a hot destination for migrant domestic workers, sorry, sorry, for, for, for uh, foreign migrant workers because the economy is the shitter. People can't really afford
2: um, to import people. Um,
3: Yeah, I mean, there is activism around it, whatever, um, for sure, but that's within the, a small bubble, like oftentimes educated elite in Lebanon, particular in NGOs. Um, and so you hear a lot about it online, but do average Lebanese people care that much? Not necessarily. Um, and the, the idea of having a system of subsidized labor um, for ordinary Lebanese families who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it is quite appealing to a lot of people and they might be willing to, um, to, uh, ignore the abuses that come with that. Um,
1: I finally spoke with Dana Harwani, a multimedia journalist based in Beirut that also specializes in politics, culture, and society across the MENA region. She writes for Fanak, now Lebanon, and the New Arab. She talked to me about how patriarchy in Lebanon favor women's exploitation and how they're viewed and treated in the society. This is shown in the laws of the country that don't take into consideration women since these specific laws are made by men.
4: It's like modern day, modern day slavery because they don't have any type of autonomy. Um, there's no law to protect them because Article 7 of the labor law excludes them. So um, there's, like, they can't go to a lawyer and, uh, you know, So, um, that's a major issue. Um, So basically, because they're excluded from the labor law, um, they can't have the protection that other workers are entitled to, like minimum wage or limits on working hours or weekly rest days. Legislators and lawmakers who draft these laws that govern workers' rights are generally men, right? And here in Lebanon, we don't, have a lot of women in decision making like positions. Mm-hmm. So that affects um, how much laws we have that different women in general and like women workers in particular, yeah so they don't really have any laws because women here don't have laws and here you know the patriarchy dominates us. So if women, like Lebanese women, do not have laws like migrant workers here unfortunately are not looked as important by patriarchal like from a patriarchal standpoint um because of racism because of their skin color um and because of the labor they do um, and according to uh, um, migrant community center they told me that you know, this uh, like employment they do is considered unimportant because in our Arab societies it's considered like a uh, traditional employment. Like any woman should uh, um, clean and cook. Mm-hmm. Of course, the financial situation has changed, and that means that people want cheap labor, like cheaper labor. Right? We mm-hmm. like used to give them two hundred dollars. Now people can't even afford that. So a lot of them, were resorting to just, like, I hate, hate to say this, but like to just throw them out mm-hmm. um, or like keep
0: them hostages. I think. Thank you for listening to this episode of Human Rights Magazine. The podcast is brought to you by the Upstream Journal. I invite you to consider supporting the program and the magazine with a contribution through PayPal as you explore other episodes.